Welcome to Sooners here with Kevin Clark. I am Kevin Clark, joined by Lindsey Jones on one of the last weeks until this actual practice football to talk about. Pal, what's going on? Uh, I'm great. I guess it's the end of summer vacation. I know everybody else gets a month, but we're we're back. Let's go. A month. Most people get like a, a, a full summer. We get a week. <laughs> Give or take a couple of days. But yeah, no, it, it's good. If I'm feeling football, like it's, I'm reading football, I'm, I'm so listening excited. to football. Let's I'm go. so excited. I'm so, I, I, I'm, for whatever reason, I don't know why uh, it is just hitting me early this year. Um, and one thing I'm excited about is that Jordan Arvig joins us today to talk about Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, Mike McDaniel, and Matt LaFleur, kind of the, the world that they created. She did a podcast series for The Athletic about it. We wanted to dive into it. I just listened to it. But also, like, knowing all of these guys um, and talking to them a little bit for the LaFleur story last year, spending a lot of time with Matt, and just diving into this world, it's it's as fascinating a group as there is in football. And at this point, they they define the sport outside of Andy Reid and Bill Belichick. Um, there's a couple people who can stake a claim to um, you know, if, if the Ravens take a leap forward, whatever, um, we can we can talk about that. The the Bills obviously have their own thing. Um, but right now, like if there's a system that defines everything, it's the Shanahan thing. And so um I think that the diving into this was really interesting and I, I really enjoyed the chat. Yeah, I mean the the podcast series is phenomenal. There's five episodes. Um what I really appreciated about it was like you're going to learn a lot about football. Like it's pretty football dense, but you're going to learn a lot about these four guys that you've already read about. And that you think, you know, a lot about Sean McVay or Kyle Shanahan, and you're going to learn some new stuff. So it was really interesting. And, um, I love talking to Jordan about the, the entire process because it was a whole year for her of reporting and producing and writing and just a really, really intense labor of love and, um, really enjoyed it. All right. Here's Jordan. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. All right, Jordan's here. She just recently unveiled a podcast in the letter called The Play Callers. It's all about one of the cheat codes of modern football, not just offensively, which we know is the Shanahan, McVeigh, LaFleur, McDaniel system, whatever you want to call it, but also that those fellas who all worked together in Washington for years, um, they are really close friends and they love talking about each other. That's the second cheat code is that if you get them talking about the other people, you will get amazing stories. And Jordan got that. What's going on, buddy? Hey guys, how's it going? Nice to see you. I'm a little nervous. I'm a big fan of the show. Um, I heard uh, you got Josh Allen on and you know, there's a lot of more, a lot more people that are a lot more uh, famous and interesting than I am. So I'm very, very fortunate to be included. And it's nice to see you guys. Well, we call you the Josh Allen of the podcast game. Um, that's just, a lot, oh, just what people are saying. That's just what people are saying. Um, and so we actually did right before Josh Allen have George Kittle on. And Kittle was talking about Kyle Shanahan and how he almost 
wastes plays. He wouldn't use that phrase, but how everything works together. He layers. He will run plays he knows doesn't work because he's setting up the big play. Um, You took a deep dive into all of these guys offensively and their philosophy and the changes and the tweaks that they've made from now that they're a head coach or whatever, and even starting with Mike Shanahan, going back to Bill Walsh, all of that stuff. Um, The thing that you learned about their offense that made you Stopping your tracks, the jaw, the jaw dropping thing. Is there a detail of offensive football that you learned when going through this and talking to these folks that made you the most excited about ball? Yeah. I mean, part of it was also the reason behind doing the the series too, which is um, you kind of, it's very millennial, but that you kind of see who they are as people by how they run their offenses and, and their schemes. And, you know, you could have a hypothesis about that, which is kind of what I did starting out the, the reporting process for the series and then have that kind of be confirmed to you over the course of the interviews and, and, and the, the life that they've experienced has, has shaped not just like who they are as people, but because who they are as people has so become who they are as football people and who they are in football. Um, it, it's kind of so interconnected at this point that when you're looking at these offenses, you're, you're seeing fingerprints really. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not even really necessarily, if, if you kind of look at it through a certain lens, you're, you're looking at, um, someone's life, <laughs> you know, the timeline of their, of their life and their experience. And to me, that was deeply fascinating. Um, the schematic stuff was amazing, interesting stories of how players create things on the fly stories of how coaches create things in game, um, unpacking all the layers of different plays and the sequencing, like you brought up, I actually, um, saw that in person, the way that Kyle does that on his whiteboard. Um, he starts with a one layer of a play and it's in uh, it's on a big dry erase board and it's in one color. And then he literally draws over the top of it like 10, 12 times with all different colors. So it looks truly unhinged, but then all of a sudden you realize how much sense it makes when you're sort of processing it. Um, so to that point, but, but uh, you know, all of the football stuff was so fascinating, but this this was the identity stuff was really, mm. really interesting and, and sort of proving that theorem in a way. Well, you've been covering the Rams, obviously, as a beat writer for a couple of years now, but you got these guys to tell you stuff about their schemes that I've never <laughs> read anywhere before. And, you know, maybe this is a little inside sports media journalism, but, you know, inside baseball. But how did you get them to kind of open up about their offenses in ways that they don't typically do? Yeah. And cause I don't really know a lot of them. Like I watch tape and watch them from afar, watch interviews they do in the research and the reporting for this was a year long enterprise. Um, but I just, I told them what I wanted to talk to them about. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's like a kind of a crazy, I mean, I, I don't, it wasn't me. Certainly. Um, it was, I told them what I wanted to talk to them about and I told them why I wanted to talk to them about football and the types of, you know, I, I wanted to understand how they think and how they process ideas and how they create. And like, like I said, kind of at the top, you know, all these guys are kind of showing their work in real time. And I think talking about it is something they genuinely like to do. I mean, you guys have have talked to these guys much more than I have probably. And, and, you know, they like to explain why they like to um, show their work. They like to, to short, sort of like, show what they're doing and what they're creating. And it's part of the reason I think a lot of them gravitate and are drawn toward football because of the natural way that happens. But also I, I just, you know, for me, it was like, this is what I, this is what I want to talk to you about. Now it didn't happen that simply as a year of persistently asking and a lot of really patient, patient PR people behind the scenes 
who I bugged or constantly. impatient or impatient. Yeah. Some, who, I, who I bugged like constantly, uh, a lot of changed flights, a lot of logistic nightmares for stop red eye into green Bay was not fun. Slept in the Austin airport. It was great. Um, and, and, you know, but, but like that part of it, was like, this is what I would like to talk to you about. Are you game? And I was actually kind of startled or surprised and also trying to figure out, you know, why, you know, myself, why are you willing to talk about this? But it started proving again, over and over again, they love talking about it. Mm -hmm. They love, they love this stuff. It's why they feel like they're on the planet. And so I'm like, okay, yeah, this is like me. You you asked me to talk about football or you asked me to talk about my dog. I would talk about my dog for hours. You know, Lindsay like <laughs> tried to do it before this pod. We barely recorded this pod because Lindsay wanted to know about Tucker, who's at your feet right now. <laughs> Look, Tucker and I have a long relationship. Okay. All right. So there's a line in there from Kyle. So I saw a little bit of us reporting the the Lafleur story last year, and there's a line in there from Kyle where he says something to the effect of, "We all like hanging out, despite what people might might think or my people people might say, or whatever." And I think there's, it's really hard to maintain friendships at the highest level of football because you're competing. I mean, I think, and this is just me talking, I've heard stories from groups like that, maybe even this group where, hey, they're a little bit pissed off because someone hired an assistant because you're all hiring from the same pool of assistants or you stole, you know, you, you, you signed this player and, you know, you're all trying to find the same sort of players, the same assistants. Like there's competition in everything when you're running the same system. And nobody ever thinks about that. Nobody. And I think that they go through cycles of being pissed at each other. Um, maybe it's not, you know, it's kind of like us with our best friends from college where it's like, Hey, I'm just, I'm a little bit mad at you this month, but like, we're going to get through it. Um, take me through, wouldn't call it an uneasy alliance, but take me through the friendship where it's like, okay, this can get derailed quite quickly. And for months at a time, weeks at a time, days at a time, and it's all going to work itself out. But like, what is that? What is that cohesion like? Yeah, I think you have to consider a couple of truths at the same time. One of them is that these guys are all like, depending on who you ask, either fated or doomed to be linked to each other forever, as long as they're in football and probably far beyond that because of where they started their careers, because of who they worked with, sometimes for each other, uh, sometimes with each other, um, how their staffs, you know, pollinate in terms of the hires and the and the different schemes and how their languages have changed. Like they're all linked, right? So that's that's one truth. Another truth is that you know, they, their uh, working relationships were based, they started in competition. It's a foundation point. So if, if you can be comfortable um, debating, arguing, flat out fighting with each other over, you know, who's going to have the best idea and which idea is going to get on Kyle Shanahan's call sheet, um, you kind of learn to live in that place. I mean, it's, dec- it's a decade of, of that experience. What I think the dynamics become more complicated and you sort of have to revert to those fundamental truths is when they start to branch out and lead teams and when the people who maybe understand what your life is like the best, you can't necessarily call on the phone all the time and you can't necessarily troubleshoot through ideas with like you would in the past um, because you're trying to beat them. And certainly you can see, and, and certainly that's the case, especially for coaches who face each other, each other multiple times a year, as, as Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan do. And to me, there's always that bond and that always that underlying respect and always that sort of, um, and, and it comes through always that, even if it's begrudging sometimes, that respect that comes through over ideas and, and stories and, and memories really is what continues to tie them all together as well. But 
I think because they started their friendships really as competitors, they were colleagues and collaborators as well, but they also were competitors in in a very um, functional way um, and sometimes dysfunctional way. I think understanding that and living in that space, you become more comfortable with the days that maybe you're you know, wanting to, to beat the crap out of each other because, you know, you lost to X team six times in a row or like anything like that. Or someone takes your, your assistant that you didn't want to lose or, or you block a coach from X interview or Y interview. And, you know, I think that that makes it, it's just a part of life and it makes it more, I think, I think it makes it just, it's a space that they're comfortable living in where, you know, you'll always be linked to each other. Um, but you also understand that, your friendships or relationships or whatever you even want to call it is not going to look normal because it never started that way. So I think that there's, first of all, that was great. Um, but second of all, thanks I, Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> I think that there's, I think that there's something with, with each coach where it's, and let's talk schema for a second, because when I was doing the LaFleur thing and talking to Mike McDaniel, Mike McDaniel is actually the most illuminating on what changes LaFleur made. Um, he's an illuminating guy to begin with, but as far as blending it with, with what Rogers likes to do, audibles are not something the Shanahan system loves. Aaron Rodgers loves it. Um, using your cadence to let the defense declare stuff like that. They, they blended it. Can you take me through the biggest changes the Kyle Shanahan offense has gone through in it's different variations, whether that's in LA, whether that's in Miami, whether that's in green Bay, where, I mean, even you, know, you think about Brandon Staley is a, a type of McVay disciple, but he's on the defensive end. So it's a little bit different, but there are some influences on the offensive side of the ball. Um, take me through the biggest schematic changes, the swerves over the past decade. Well, first and foremost, that's kind of the whole podcast series. So um, at the risk of like giving you the entire series so that people don't listen to the series, uh, just want to, uh, I'll cruise through this one just for sure. Like 10 hours, <laughs> just make the answer 10 hours. How hard Did you is have this? five hours? I have five hours. Um, yeah, a lot of it, you know, it, it depends on the moment in time, right? So when you're first starting out and you're Sean McVay, um, you think you're going to run a lot of 12 personnel. Um, in fact, you draft a tight end with the first pick, still not a first rounder, but the first pick you have that year, uh, you draft a fullback in the sixth round and you're standing at practice with Matt LaFleur, who you've hired from Atlanta. Um, you are starting to install a turbo package similar to what you saw Kyle Shanahan and Matt LaFleur run in Atlanta. And you're looking at, you know, your personnel and and what you're trying to do and who you have. And you're realizing that running a lot of 12 personnel doesn't work because Cooper cups over there standing on the sideline. And so you start running a lot of 11. And so then obviously that was such a huge characteristic of the early days and still really to this day of, of Sean McVay and, and a trademark of his is heavy, heavy, heavy 11 personnel usage at a rate that had not really been deployed. Obviously 11 personnel was not new, but the rate at which he deployed it. And then coming into with within those that turbo package using motions and um, really helping the quarterback go fast because the defenses would sort of stay a little bit more regulated at that point and getting to the line of scrimmage quickly. And then, you know, with Sean, a lot of there's, there was a lot of um, even less so than I would say care, like traits and qualities, player development, um, schematic development. There was obviously the Cooper cup, story and having Robert Woods and Sammy Watkins. But with Kyle, you you saw a lot of that schematic development go toward um, 
traits and how his, what his players can do with, with Sean, it was early, early on. It was more like my players and Andrew Whitworth has an idea about uh, Roger Saffold has an idea of what we're going to do with our run game to bring certain concepts inside from the widest zone that we have. And it's going to maximize Todd Gurley and okay, I'm collaborating with you in that regard. And so, you know, when you're starting to see Kyle Shanahan's offense mature, um, you're starting to see him almost pull back toward the line of scrimmage in a way where Sean has started to gravitate toward those explosive pass plays. And you've seen Kyle almost mentally pull toward the line of scrimmage, understanding that they're going to beat you up on the line of scrimmage. They're going to do a lot of stuff pre and post snap to uh, mess with your head. Um, They're going to do a lot of multiple things in the run game that borrow, beg, borrow, steal, pull from all kinds of different places all over the, the the schematic landscape and timeline of the NFL. They're going to make their receivers even more so a function of the run game than maybe we saw even from those, those really great yards after catch Sean McVay teams um, and, and do a lot of those things where your run game is so multiple that your quarterback doesn't necessarily have to be. And again, it's about moments in time and some of it's self-inflicted with the quarterback stuff and, and San Fran, but moments in time, you know, Sean McVay then sk- shifts again schematically um, because of the way he saw defenses were playing his team. And then he brought that defense in house and then he shifts again because he believes that now he has the re- the way he can solve this defense that he believes will start to permeate across the league. And what does he do? He goes and gets the quarterback who can give him that flourish through the passing game, but his run game then kind of goes away right through injury or, or concept or inconsistency. Um, meanwhile, you know, I think Matt LaFleur, a lot of what they've done schematically, like you said before, it has been about compromise. You know, you're seeing a lot of blending together of the things that we've always known Aaron Rodgers love to do, loves to do, um, along with some of the sequencing, some of the setup plays, um, some of those timing things that, you know, that, that historically have come from this system. Um, so this whole thing, this language, it changes everywhere they go situationally, schematically. A lot of it's changed to the, what the players can do, um, but a lot of it's changed to like the coaches like I said before, their identities and their experiences. And it's interesting because a lot of the language stays the same and a lot of the core stays the same, but you know, the things they call things changes and the way that they, you know, okay. Uh, you know, played uh, Kyle Shanahan's like, okay, we played the Rams inside linebacker. We understand the way that they're running a defense now mm-hmm. means that they put less team building um, onus on the inside linebacker. So I'm going to call the exact toss play that shifts the contact point at that same linebacker over and over and over again. And, and a lot of it is um, how they think about each other as well as how they think about um, changing scheme and, and changing the language of what they do. I think a, a lot of times to fit their players, but with Sean, I think it really started that way with players. Um, and, and he sort of gravitated toward that since, since his start. With Matt, Matt LaFleur, I think that's similar as well because it really started out like, you know, at first it was maybe more scheme. And then after 2019, they pulled back. And I know you've, you've written about this. Like they pulled back and they went more compromise um, in terms of what they did and didn't want to do um, with with Rogers' input. So um, I'm rambling now. But like I said, it's all it's all in the podcast. <laughs> So, I'm so bad at this. No, like, you're great shameless at it, plug. I, and also, I'm so bad at this. You mentioned yeah. after the 2019 season, part of that, from what I understand, is COVID and all OTAs get canceled. All mini camp gets canceled. We don't know what's going to happen with training camp. And so it was just a bunch of guys on Zoom talking ball. 
And I think that that was a huge leap forward as far as scheme goes, because whether that's LaFleur, whether that's McDaniel, whether that's Shanahan or whatever, all you had, all you could do is sit around and come up with plays. Mm-hmm. And like Kyle Shanahan had said, like, you know, basically this is his life. He actually had to qualify by saying when he dies, he'll think of his loved ones. But like a close second is what's on the whiteboard there. Like during COVID, they just sat there and they were just like, oh, we'll come up with this variation. Like that's what these guys do. Yeah, it it forced a pause in constantly putting out tape or constantly, um, you know, clinicking or doing all kinds of stuff. Um, It forced a pause. And I also think it does force in some ways those conversations with players that maybe you don't otherwise always have. Um, It forces. And then you also what, what people forget, too, is you also had to speed up the onboarding process. So you have to introduce friction. You have to introduce competition and conflict in order to get the uh, the fullest iteration of what it is you're trying to run after all of these weeks spent talking about it, you have to figure out a more efficient way to install it and teach it and and actually have it grow into the version it needs to be by week one in a way shorter amount of time. And I think that was part of the catalyst for this as well, because you really did start to see them all diverge more than they ever had um, after that 2020 season. And, and, you know, again, too, some of it's defenses that they bring mm-hmm. in. Kyle Shanahan's super open in the series and Robert Sala's super open in the series about some of the epic clashes that they had at, at practices that lead to the wide nine, that lead to playing more quarters, which Robert Sala plays more quarters than he ever has in his career you know, now. And and so now you're, you're looking at, okay, well, then what is Kyle doing to solve that? Well, in, instead of being a dominant, you know, outside wide zone team, you know, now they're running counter and power and now they're doing all kinds of that multiplicity stuff, but inside a little bit more and they're still mixing in their outside zone, but like they're not, that's no longer their defining identity or quality. Um, and so a lot of it has been also the decisions they've made on who they're going to hire. I think the Mike McDaniel, Vic Fangio thing gets really, really interesting because Vic Fangio spent a year sort of studying and, and um, thinking and, and talk and having these conversations behind the scenes. So now what is his scheme now going to look like as diverged from other variations or copies of, of his scheme. And what is Mike McDaniel going to do with that? How is he going to challenge that? How is he going to diverge even further from some of the things, you know, some of the, some of the core concepts that work, they'll always stay the same, you know, drift, like some of these things that have always, that always stay the same because they work, right? Some of these Azoro, some of the stuff always, it works really well, no matter what defense you're playing against they they generally have like a high efficiency rate but at the same time like how are you then trying to control space against somebody else that that changes and that's how you see these guys diverge and especially after they make these hiring decisions once they're in charge one of the most interesting things that i think you explored throughout the entire series um was kind of this issue of like credit and like ego and blame and who wants credit for things. I thought Mike McDaniel, there was a really, I don't want to spoil it too much, but like he had a really interesting anecdote about how he would just like try to sneak a play in there, but let Kyle name it so that like Kyle could have some ownership, but like it was a way of kind of establishing himself and, you know, getting, gaining, gaining some credibility. I'm curious now, as we head into 2023 and all four of these guys that you really focus the series on are at like very pivotal moments kind of in their careers and in their offenses with the quarterbacks specifically that they work with. So with all this time that you spent with these guys over the last year, and especially over the last couple of months, when you look at where they're each at, the quarterbacks that they they have this year, I mean, obviously Kyle Shanahan, 
who knows exactly what's going to happen. I think, you know, he's been through the most kind of quarterback turmoil of anybody. Where do you think this goes for these guys? What's at stake maybe for all four of these coaches heading into this year where there are so many questions with who the quarterback is going to be? Yeah, well, part of that too, I think, you know, this is me saying this, it's not Kyle saying this, um, but I do think my theory is that that's why his run game looks the way that it does and why his receivers can do what they can do and and all of that is is part of his own experiences uh, and some of them self-inflicted with the quarterback position. Um, that's I'm like, well, that's something you can count on no matter which team is trying to make a comeback against you. Like you can always, you know, that's something you can depend on is having a really multiple, really physical run game. And that is a, tr- a universal truth, you know, until football ends. Right. Um, but yeah, it, it is part of the reason why these coaches specifically are featured is because they're all at inflection points. It's not because they're the most decorated or the most successful. Um, they're very smart. They're very good at what they do. They should, you know, they obviously get a lot of credit, um, for that, but at the same time, they're all, they're all about to either make some sort of pivot or be forced into one. And whether it's the way that the team is built, um, in terms of being in contention, which I think it's safe to say San Francisco very much is, uh, despite the question at quarterback and the Miami has one of the most talented rosters in the NFL, um, or whether it's, um, coming back from like absolute failure as Sean McVay and the Rams are trying to do, um, or whether it is striking out on your own really for the first time as, as a, as a head coach, as Matt LaFleur is doing. Um, and the thing is, is I, I do think that's one defining lesson that all of them have learned and acted upon in certain ways is that it is going to, there's a point where you have to almost let go as the play caller and cede control in some way to understanding that it, it will be about the quarterback. Now, if you're trying to figure out how to keep things, all the un- imperfections and uncontrollables, like as consistent as possible, you probably have an offense that looks a little bit like Kyle Shanahan's. Um, if you are thinking that getting a, a quarterback who can make every throw, depending on you know how he can contort his shoulders and his eyeballs and all that, you're probably going out and getting Matthew Stafford. And, and you sort of are looking the other way if there's any injury consequences because you want that sort of flourish for, for where you're at in terms of your your journey. Um, you know, if you're, if you're Matt LaFleur, you're looking anywhere and everywhere you can, because you have to still continue to build something that helps a quarterback without a lot of experience be successful. Um, and he was, he was kind of startlingly open about where he's looking for inspiration, um, in terms of, of how to design his offense, um, including looking back at the time he and Sean pivoted completely from what they thought they were going to do and, and went into a totally new direction. And then if you're Mike McDaniel, you're also looking at the quarterback you have and you understand how good he is with the timing and how, you know, he, he can really execute the way that you, but you also, he's got a different set of experiences mm-hmm. than, you know, you have to figure out a way to make him feel like, you know, not have to, I don't mean to sound like that, but you want to figure out a way to make him feel like he matters in an offense that's telling him every single day, it's not about you. It's about the skill players all around you. And, you know, I, I know I'm, I'm answering this a lot more anthropologically than schematically, but I, I think really that's that's a lot of what it comes down to in terms of, um, again, how these things are created and how these these people all reach those inflection points. What's one thing, and I know you came in this open mind, and I don't think, obviously you spent a lot of time around Sean McVay and certainly the NFC West, but what's one thing that 
this changed your mind on? Like, like what, what's one thing you used to think about football that now you think about differently because of the time you spent with these guys? Um, that's a really good question. Uh, changed my mind. I don't think would be the right way to frame it. Um, but because you got so deep into the backstories of these people, you started to really in a way that you'd only theorized about, written about, covered as a journalist, you started to really see, almost see firsthand um, what it is like to have access to ideas versus what it is like to not have access to ideas. And when you talk about the networks that these guys have created, and in some ways that have been perpetuated by a league that is really offensive minded at this, at this point. Um, and the way that it has held some people out of those spaces because of all of the speed and perpetuation at which these ideas have started to, to happen, um, to exacerbate existing problems. You see things like examples of Kyle Shanahan is, is sitting at 20, what, 24, He's sitting in Tampa Bay and he's listening in on meetings with some of the best defensive coaches that have ever coached. At the same time, he's matching 20 years of access and knowledge that he's had um, from from watching his dad, who's a great was a great coach, um, watching his dad. And then he's he's like melding everything together out of like his job is literally to log the NFL's biggest playbook at that time. And and that type of access, it's not that he didn't make the most out of that opportunity. He did. I think absolutely he did. But when you have that eye-opening understanding of what access looks like and what it can lead to, and you look at the sport in this big timeline and, and this ripple effect, all these decisions that people made, it's really eye-opening and I think really important for people to, to think about this is these are all great stories. They're all fun stories. They're all really interesting. And they show us how the league has, has changed schematically. But innovation loops can also be closed and prohibitive to people who don't necessarily have that specific type of access. And I think that's also an important point to, to note and to understand. And, and something, honestly, I, I do think that um, you know we're starting to talk about more freely. And, and some of those guys are starting to reckon with a little bit more. Part of the reason football is full of Nepo babies um, is that, A, people just hire their sons and their, friend, their son's friends at 22, and then they just start working their way up the ranks. That's one of them. But second is, before the internet democratized some of this stuff, not all of this stuff, some of this stuff, any good football information was proprietary. And it was really, really, really hard to find out exactly what Wade Phillips was doing. Mike Shanahan was doing, Don Shula was doing, it was impossible. Like it was impossible. You, you didn't have all 22 film, let alone like playbooks and, and coaching clinics were few and far between. They weren't recorded. They weren't shared on YouTube, all of this stuff. And so you'd get like a nine-year-old who's getting that information where in some parts of the country, if you're born into the wrong family, you, you're 27 and you don't have that information or you have to start in high school and you don't get the, you don't get access to the information until you're 35. And so like it's, it was it's still a terrible system, but it's certainly a, uh, it, it's actually improved because of the, the internet where it's still nowhere near perfect, but you can't tell that story without, I mean, all, all of these guys in some way, um, were either, I mean, some of them got hired organically. Some of them are, are the, the sons of, of people in the NFL, but that's, that is part of the story. I think too, I'm going to say this without getting a, a little emotional. I'm very tired, but, um, I think too, like, 
that idea of democratizing ideas and that idea of democratizing scheme and concepts, you know, there are so many gifted, talented people that break down and talk about football who I learn from every single day, but to hear it from the voices of the people who make the decisions and who are the the gatekeepers of that information, that was really, really important to me to make sure that people hear this and they hear people talking about ideas and they feel like they have access to those people because they're listening to them talk about these ideas. And so, you know, I think I would also go as far as to say that some of them, to me, just in my conversations with them, seem to recognize that. And I think we're more open because they also, I think, reckon with the fact that they, their ideas, they are not the owners of. They Football is for everyone. And I think that um, this was a really cool and motivating process to make people also feel like they're sitting in there. That's why we went into such meticulous detail with the sound production and design with Mike Smeltz and Kent Garrison, because we, we wanted people to feel like they're in the room listening to like a rant about, you know, check downs from Kyle Shanahan. And we wanted people to see the way he sequences plays together in layers. And we wanted people to feel like they were there the entire time. And that's why we did such meticulous work, whether it was in the script or with the sound design, because again, that access, that's so important, especially for people who don't always have that and and historically have not had that. And I think that being able to share in that way, like you're listening to how football works, you're, you're not seeing it because it's an, it's a podcast, but like you're, you're listening, you're in the room, you're, you're getting an understanding of, of how football happens um, from the people who are in charge of making it happen. And, and to me, that was just like, so freaking important (laughs) and so motivating, even on like the, the hardest days of like, I want people to know what I'm learning. I want people to see what I'm so fortunate to get to see at this point. What was the, the, your favorite moment in the reporting process of all of this, not to spoil what's in it, but where you said, I got something like, this is it. This is the moment that you raised home, called your producer. Like, what was your favorite moment of it? Oh, honestly, there were, there were several just, um, you know, when Mike McDaniel takes you through how he designs and thinks about plays, even like coming up with left-handed, you know, fake boots for Tua, like, it's just like, some of that is so you just geek out over things like that. Um, but, or, or like, you know, Robert Sala comes in and like basically steals the show from all the offensive guys, you know, like just incredible interview, did such a great job. Um, but I think honestly, it was when it really hit me was when I, you know, myself and Corey Rush, the San Francisco 49ers PR head, I walk into Kyle Shanahan's office with Corey And immediately I'm seeing this whiteboard and I describe it at the beginning of the series and I've talked about it here. That's when it kind of like really hit me of you are about, you're looking at the inside of somebody's brain, essentially. Um, And for me, it was like, it's so funny because like, wow, this is all visual. Like I'm doing a podcast. Wow. This seems like not great. But, um, but, but then like the, the, when it sinks in like that, where you're like, oh, wow, this person's in the middle of designing their offense for next year. Um, and, and, and then it's just like making jokes about how like chaotic and, and dark it looks, you know, (laughs) and and you're sitting there and and you're like, oh, wow. Yeah. I'm, this is something that sinks into you where, where it's like, you're getting to see a glimpse at how something happens, how things work. And I think that's, that's why a lot of us love football so much is because every day you get to learn about 
how stuff is and why it is. Um, and, and honestly, I do think that's a, a motivating force behind a lot of why these guys do what they do and, and still do it despite the fact that it seems like it's a job that actually would be quite terrible, frankly. <laughs> there are two of these coaches that I would not be surprised if they made the Super Bowl. One is in Miami, one is in San Francisco. If you were to handicap the best season any of these guys had in 2023 and you cannot wiggle your way out of this question. I know. I hate this. I'm already squirming. You're about to clip me out. I can already tell. I'm going to make people. What? We will not clip this out. If someone else clips this out, we can't control them. I promise you, we <laughs> will not clip this out. Yeah. So the reason I say San Francisco is a, I mean, they were extraordinary last year. I mean, Miami, I think, you know, if they could have stayed healthy, obviously we really have yet to see how that fully manifests through the course of a full season, but San Francisco, they just seem like they, they will all like, they're, they're so comfortable and confident in who they are and their identity and what, um, and, and how to make it to that point. Now getting past the threshold, you know, that's another story completely. We, we have yet to see that, but how to get there, um, they have the experience. Um, obviously the quarterback question is a huge, is a huge question. So that's the caveat here. But I also say that because um, it's almost like I don't think that there's another option at this mm -hmm. point. Like you, if you're Kyle Shanahan, like it's not just that you either been there and lost or almost gotten there again. Um, it's like at this point, I mean, if you can see it the way that their roster is built and 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 everything, all of the capabilities that they have, and also he's quite literally built them to be more physical than you in December when it counts. Um, and so you, you're seeing everything is about getting back there. Everything is about crossing, crossing that threshold. Um, and so for me, it's like, it's almost like there's not another option. It has, it has to be because I don't, in his mind, I really don't think there's, and again, not to speak for him, but like, I really don't think there's another option. Um, has to, has to, has to. Do you think that there's any, I think this is a bit of a, it's a false narrative, right? To be like, oh, well, McVeigh won the Super Bowl, so Shanahan's going to adjust. Like, what What was Shanahan going to tank if McVeigh lost to the Bengals? Like, what, 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 what's the issue here, right? Like, these guys are always going to try their hardest, to, no matter what their their friends do. Um, but do you think that that uh, there's a level of competition where, you know, I mean, we've seen the all-in thing over the past couple of years where, you know, both Shanahan and McVeigh know they have to go get Matthew Stafford and only one team gets it. Um, do you think that one, one of these guys having success changes the behavior of the other? Well, I don't think that's mutually, I don't think that's exclusive to this group. Right. Like, I think that's every coach, every coach who's worth anything in the league. Um, you you have to always operate with, you need to beat everybody else at any cost. I mean, that's, if you're Talk not doing Lindsay. that, <laughs> it's like, if you're not doing that, why are you, why are you a head coach? If you're not, you know, and, and I'm not, you know, this is not a pro tanking or anti tanking argument. It's just that, that in terms of how people are wired as competitors, um, as, as head coaches, you know, I think that's, I don't think that's exclusive to this group. I think that's everybody. I think everybody's got one eye on everybody else all the time. Uh, not me. I'm taking my foot off the gas. Lindsay hasn't won anything in a while. Ooh, and, uh, I've decided to, to just take it easy this year. Um, Jordan, now that it's over listening to it, I'm going to drive you crazy with this question. What's the one thing you wish you could go back and ask them? Oh, um, 
Oh, that's such a great question. One thing I wish I could go back and ask them that I didn't, I'd probably ask them all the same question. Um, what is one play from someone else that you would change? Um, which they would never answer with the microphone going because then it would sound too critical or whatever. But I would just like to know, like, what is that Sean McVay play that you're like, wow, if that guy would just have done that, that would have worked. Like, you know, I, I, you know, sometimes those things come up conversationally just when you're talking about the league in general, but, but I, I would have, I would have probably pressed hard to, to have that one be, uh, be recorded uh, for sure. I'd love to find out the secret stat. I don't I, like there's, 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 I wish there were stats for everything. And one of the advanced stats I wish we had is, guy in the league that the most coaches look at and say, man, that play is completely wrong. I wish I could fix it. Like the plumber who comes in and is like, this guy who fixed this, <laughs> this toilet last time had no idea what he was doing. Like I want the offensive play caller version of that where it's just well, like, we know what? who it was last year. It was Matt Patricia last year. I mean, <laughs> offensive coach as you know, we're putting that in quotes. Okay. I, th- I think, I think what's really interesting is how, a common denom- so much of a common denominator for so many of these coaches as Bill Belichick. Like maybe that's my next narrative series is like, raise your hand if you've been personally victimized by Bill Belichick. Um, and like all, I mean, it's like all of the degrees of separate, like it, they, a lot of them have had their entire career arcs in terms of the decisions they yeah. made next shaped by a defeat at the hands of Bill Belichick or an experience like watching him coach from afar and trying to, to do different things. And to me, that that's really fascinating. And Sean McVay even brings him up at the very end. It's like someone who is extremely comfortable in that constant shape-shifting, like innovation loop, like you understand no answer will work twice, but you're cool with it because, you know, it's about the journey, like that kind of a thing. And, and I think that um, they all like want to – they all have so much respect for him. And they, and I think a lot of times if you're a young coach, probably, especially in this league, you probably want to figure out how to be like that, but there's no magic way to be like that. You either are, or you aren't. Um, and you can only practice trying to be like that. So, um, that, that to me is also really fascinating. Sean and Sean and Mike McDaniel. Well, how old is Mike McDaniel? Is he 40 yet? I don't think he is. He's yes. Yeah. Or he's, so they're like kind of the Sean's definitely a millennial. The other guys are either borderline geriatric millennial jury yeah belichick is an honorary millennial it sounds like jordan is saying but, but i do wonder Cut you that out <laughs> you explored this a little bit too about kind of the psychology that goes into all of this and these guys and the the pace at which they work do any of these guys have it in them to be a bill belichick to be a pete carroll who is super energized and still doing this when they're 65 or 70 years old yeah, it's a great question. I get asked this a lot and I don't know, honestly. Like I kind of at some point I'd refer to Kyle Shanahan as like a long haul trucker. Like in a million years, we will find a fossilized truck with him sitting in it kind of long haul trucker. Like he kind of seems comfortable in that like doom of constantly trying to outrun your own creations <laughs> as they catch up to you. Um, he seems he's but but again, I don't know. And that's the and that's the interesting thing too is when so much information is coming at you in such high volume and everything is changing faster than it ever has before with such high volume um, of change, um, I don't know that anyone could ever definitively answer like whether they are equipped to handle that in the long term or not. I think that um, that to me is, is such a fascinating question. Some days going through this process, I've thought, yeah, I could, I could see everyone, you know, 
15 years from now, it's all the same guys. Um, you know, or I could see an entire new crop who've come up and, and a whole new way to think about football and to look at football. And um, I think it's a fascinating question. Kyle Shannon's son who's named after the Lil Wayne song is going to replace all of them very soon. <laughs> Maybe his daughter. His daughter. Maybe it'll be a- Both of them. Everybody. Yeah. Everybody's coming for these jobs. Matt Patricia, you're on notice, <laughs> pal, wherever the hell you are, Philadelphia or something. Coming for your job. <laughs> well, a Shanahan child's coming for your job. Well, <laughs> well, Jordan, this series is awesome. You should be really proud. And if you love football, make sure you go check out all five episodes. Um, and you'll learn a lot. Even if you think you know about football, you're going to learn something because it was, it was really interesting. It was incredible work. And I know we learned a lot and we really enjoyed getting to talk to you about some of the behind the scenes moments here. Thank you. One of the best things was through the reporting of this was really understanding how much more there is to learn uh, about football and how little, um, how little I know and how eager and and wanting to learn, um, which was a part of the process itself too. So um, yeah, I appreciate it. Like I said, big fan of you both, big fan of the show, deeply anxious, deeply nervous about existing uh, on, uh, I I will say on such a, on such a famous series. um. (laughs) No, I I was actually going to do I was going to piggyback off your point where I, I do feel like, these guys and some of the uh, maybe these guys in particular but because there's there's so many branches of the tree and because the basics are so well known i do believe these guys are actually a little more open about their scheme than most folks i really do yeah um and i, I do think, think so too. It's also, that, yeah. that advances the conversation a little bit and then it builds kind of so what you said democratizing information like i think i think part of it is that 85 percent of what all of them do has been covered ad nauseum over and over again. So they can just freely talk about it. And, and, you know, there's how many offensive coaches have called plays in this offense, like kind of probably double digits at this point. Right. Um, And so you just, I just feel like they're more comfortable just being like, yeah, of course I'll tell you about uh, the intricacies, intricacies of inside zone, that, that, that kind of thing where, or how we build off of outside zone, whatever it is, drift, strike, all these things. Um, I think they're, they're more comfortable and it's uniquely equipped for, for a series like this because these guys are open about that stuff. And I think they're also focused too on moving it forward, that there's less like having to be protective over what happened in the past because they're always just all about innovation. Yeah. I wonder if there's like a, this is me wondering, not putting words in anyone's mouth, but like, this is path. Like, I wonder if there's like a pathological need to like, okay, everything's getting so oversaturated. Let's force a breaking point. Right. So let's just talk about it all the time and force a breaking point. So then the next new clues and next things and the next patterns start to emerge. Um, Cause you guys are totally right. Like that's, that's part of it. And, and if anyone is doing, you know, stories on, on any of these people, I'd say like, just ask, because I think yeah. like, a lot of times we don't ask because we don't, we're used to people just not wanting to share. But I I do, I was actually, you know, very struck and and sort of blown away by how willing and and open they were to talk about why football is and how it works and those types of things um, with their own schemes, um, especially, you know, understanding that it would be out there in the world, but it already is out there in the world. That's the thing. And, And like you said, Kevin, I think that's, that's something that they're they're also like hyper aware of at all times. <laughs> but I also I also think it's a credit to you to approaching it in a way that said like I'm curious about this and I want to talk to you about this. I think in our business there's a lot of times this tendency where you want to show how much you know when you go into an interview because you want to like show that you're prepared and you've done your homework and that you know a lot of things. And sometimes you just have to say I'm curious. I just want to find out why you do this. And obviously you know 
so much about football and you can talk scheme with these guys, but I think approaching it from a place of curiosity really probably helped allow, helped allow you to get this type of access and insight that we haven't really gotten from these guys before, or at least not on this scale. Well, yeah, it's not about what I've, like you said, it's not about what I've studied or, or what I know or my preparation. It's like, or even talking at anybody, right. Or, or any of that. It's about like, I think that they're like, football is so awesome because it enhances curiosity and it enables people who are curious and want to go on fact-finding missions and, and like seek ideas and seek understanding, um, you know, because I could have the handbook of how every concept is, is run or not run or whatever, but I don't know how that person thinks about it. And so I think that that's something that, um, I, I really wanted to put at the, the forefront of the series. And, and I appreciate you, you saying that, but you know, I, I really wanted to have things explained to me through the eyes of the people who are actually going out there and doing it, because that's also how they teach their players too. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, what's that like? I've clearly never known what that feels like. So I'd like to know. And so I, I just think, you know, this sport is so amazing because it does enhance and enable curiosity in, in that way. And I think there's a growing generation of people who also enable that, um, whether they're coaches or personnel people, players, absolutely. Some of the best conversations I've ever had are within you guys have them. The George Kittle one was amazing explaining how things work. I mean, like, that's, that's what it's all about. And, and not, you know, somewhat not, not going in there, you know, kind of wanting to have somebody assume that you're, you know, there for, you know, you know, your shit or whatever, just like, no, actually let's, let's go into the assumption that I don't How about that. (laughs) And you tell me what I should know. (laughs) There's never been a problem with me, uh, looking like a dumbass in these meetings. I assure you it is, uh, it's all good. It's all good. Jordan, thank you so much, so much for coming on the Talk to you soon, pal. Thanks, guys. Bye.